Hello, and welcome to Teaching, Learning, and Everything Else. A series of conversations with innovative educators at colleges and universities across the country and around the world. This podcast is produced by faculty and staff in the Center for the Advancement of Teaching and Faculty Development at Xavier University of Louisiana. And now, let's talk about teaching, learning, and everything else. All right, I'm Bart Everson, and it is my honor this week to be speaking with Dr. Pamela Waldron-Moore. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you for joining me. I wanted to make sure our listeners know uh, that uh, you are a professor of political science right here at Xavier University of Louisiana. You know, we talk to people all around the country, all around the world, uh, sometimes we find the expertise we're looking for right here on campus. And uh, but I did want to let people know that you've uh, taught here since 1998. So you've been here even longer than me, but just barely. And um, you also have the distinction of being uh, the Leslie R. Jacobs Endowed Professor in uh, Liberal Arts Education. You have uh, your PhD in political science, specializing in comparative politics, uh, international relations, and, and you've taught a, a range of courses at the university level in the Caribbean and right here at Xavier. So thanks, and thanks, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank I you wanted, for inviting me. Oh, yeah, I, wanted, I was getting on this topic, as you know, from a, a few recent episodes um, relating to this idea of a, a just transition. And when I started thinking of people who could talk about that, you came to mind. And I'm wondering if you could help people understand just that really basic concept. It's this idea of a transition that we're facing kind of as a society, um, locally and globally. It's something I hear about constantly in uh, various activist circles. But I still sometimes think that um, our uh, teachers in higher education maybe don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about a transition. Can you unpack that for us? All right. Well, first of all, I think transition is one of those words, you know, basic Latin meaning across movement from one place to another. Um, and when we talk about um, just transitions in recent context, it mostly is related to the environment, to climate justice, um, to the, the climate change that we've been hearing so much about um, recently over the last few years. But the transition is from the traditional ways of thinking about the climate, thinking about the ecosphere that we share and so forth and moving at a point where we have to think about it equitably so that we understand that there are always producers and consumers in, in situations like these. There are always, um, you know, the, 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 the subjects and the, um, the masters kind of thing. And so when we think of the transition, we think of how do we move from what we have been doing forever and try to find better ways of enjoying the climate enjoying the earth that we have, um, that we share. Um, and so the idea of um, not just pointing fingers at who is breaking the rules, but figuring out why those rules are being breaking, broken, sorry, um, why it is that we need to figure out how everybody can participate and make this an equitable kind of change. 
And so that's what the transition is all about. The transition is from just doing things as usual where the developed world is the bigger world, the mightier world, the stronger world um, really expects the rest of the world to clean up the mess that sometimes has been created by those who can create the mess. So it is thinking of how to share, transitioning from always being in charge to the recognition that we need fairness, we need to see infrastructural change, not because we can build a certain way should we continue to build in that way. So change implies movement away from the traditional, from the norm, and at the same time, making sure that that movement is fair, is equitable, that those people who were vulnerable before don't continue to be the only vulnerable parties. So we have to share the responsibility for keeping the earth um, whole. So to look at things holistically requires us to move from um, the patterns of habit to the patterns that are necessary for everybody's enjoyment. You know, in the old days, we talked about the global commons. The earth is the global commons. It's the place where everybody can live and enjoy and share in the benefits as well as the vulnerabilities. But if only one group continues to be the vulnerable parties and others continue to create the environments that hinder um, those who are already vulnerable, make them even more vulnerable, then that cannot be the kind of equity and justice that the transition requires. So broadly, I'd say, yes, you can look at this from a global perspective in terms of the global north um, and the global south. Or we can look at this um, nationally in terms of, again, the, the national north versus the national south. Hmm. and see where the inequities lie. And then we can look at it even within communities where we have the better-offs and the poor, okay? And figure out where are people living? Why are people living there? Why is the area some people choose to live or some people can afford to live? Why is that area the area that is most disadvantaged by climate changes? And, you know, because we are in Louisiana right now um, and we have experienced the, the harshness of, of, of climate change in terms of the storms, the increases in the magnitude of these storms, the power of these storms to get stronger and stronger all the time. And the devastation is more and more harmful. You know, last year we had Laura which is recorded as one of the most powerful storms to hit the United States in many years. And right here in Louisiana, we had to experience the fallout from that. But before Laura had disappeared, then we had Zeta and these others, you know, hot on its heels. And the folks who were displaced from the, you know, St. Charles and so forth area, they had to be accommodated in um, the city in New Orleans. And that when people might not realize that they might say, oh, well, you know, it's just a movement from one area to another. The added pressure placed on the people within the city means that there is greater disadvantage added on to the advantage that the people in um, New Orleans who were also exposed, that they were experiencing even an increase 
in that exposure. That was not a just transition. Okay, It's not just to say, okay, well, we'll move you out from your um, devastated area to another devastated area. If you're magnifying the problem of the area that you're moving them into, because that's added to their discomfort, their vulnerability, their disadvantage, their ability to survive, because now you're sharing resources among a larger group when you can barely afford to um, keep, you know, those who are already there. So you can look at um, you can look at transition in in all of those ways, um, but you can also look at it across the globe, within states and so forth. So that is the the, the transition part of it. Thank you. It is. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the Hurricane Laura because. That was really not so long ago, you know, almost a year ago now, and we're still seeing uh, how that's unfolding. Yes. Uh, it was on the front page of the newspaper today. There's been ongoing issues. Uh, they said they're on a, uh, about a housing crisis and other problems that have all related to uh, Hurricane Laura making landfall out there by Lake Charles. Yeah. Uh, it continues to be on everybody's mind. Local people, at least, know about that. Now, our listeners might might be far afield and might not realize that's still that's still continuing to be an issue here. Yeah, uh, the, definitely something though that local people have been thinking about and are aware of now. And uh, of course, I also uh, really appreciated how you uh, brought in the notion of enjoyment. Uh, repeatedly uh, there because a lot of times that's not uh, the, the first word that comes to people's mind when they talk about justice, you know, it just all seems so very serious um, and, and, and kind of grim sometimes. But to talk about in, enjoyment, I think is a, it's a, a refreshing way to approach the issue. How do we enjoy uh, the bounty of nature, the abundance of the natural world. Yeah. And share that. Especially since that was the design, right? Um, when we read about the pursuit of happiness, it's not just a little catchphrase put in there. It is also about this notion of equity that we should all be able to have, as Aristotle said, the good life. That's, that's what man is entitled to. That's his man's heritage that we enjoy the good. And the good life does not necessarily mean that you build the most powerful, and this is part of the whole transition conversation, you build the most um, wonderful house because this is, this is what will bring you joy. But you build it close to the, to, the, to the ocean, close to the coast, because then you get this beautiful view. You enjoy that, that leisure, that pleasure that comes from that without recognizing the imposition that is on those who need the, the water. I mean, we have fishermen. They need to go and, you know, make their food. Their livelihood comes from there. But your house is there. When there is a, 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 a challenge to the community and that house collapses, they can't get there to do their, to, to earn their livelihood. You know, when there's a... a something out in the in the coast, whether it be Exxon Mobil or 
you know, or slick or whatever. Who gets hurt? It's the little people who have to go and deprive themselves. It's the birds. It's, the, you know, it is wildlife. The whole ecosystem suffers. And justice does not require that some groups suffer when others make the mess. You know, we ask about um, industrialization. We cannot live without industry. But the primary um, cause of global disaster and so forth is industrialization. It is this idea of everybody's involved in globalization, right? All the countries. This is the whole notion of economic liberalism, the liberal way of laissez-faire, you know? The economy is going to be built when we trade and we engage in trade. So if we are um, participating in this growth, um, and there's this wide marketplace, then everybody gets the opportunity to take part in sharing, um, you know, man's bounty, whatever we, whatever gifts we have, that's, that's the marketplace, we share them. The problem is that the rainforest might be our natural heritage. But we can't just expect Brazil to be responsible exclusively for keeping the rainforest pure so that it absorbs our carbon releases and then we get the luxury of enjoying the oxygen that comes from the hard work that the rainforest has to do. If we wait for Brazil only to focus on um, conservation policies that say, okay, this is the way we're going to preserve this, we have to let Brazil know that the cost can't be all yours because it's not Brazil producing the carbon emissions in any bountiful way. Those come from the industrialized world. They're the ones releasing into the atmosphere all of this carbon. So they can't expect Brazil and the folks who are the stewards, I guess, of the rainforest to be exclusively responsible because they have to participate too. So when Brazil says, okay, we're going to have to cut down some trees and, and sell them as lumber because we got to survive. We can't just pay people to take care of the, the rainforest if we're not getting any kind of benefit from it. We need something. That's what we have. And so we have situations where China says, you know what? We need meat. Brazil has space. We are going to have our cattle farms we're going to cut down trees, right? We're going to sell the trees as lumber to build houses, to build structures. But we're also going to make sure that we don't replant it the way Brazil has been doing for so many centuries as, as stewards of the, the rainforest. And I know all this because my country is next door to Brazil. And so part of where I was born and raised is part of that care that we have to give to the rainforest, to allow it to be the way it is. It's in the Amazon basin, which is where we are. So um, what we find is that Brazil says, okay, we're going to do just a little bit of logging, you know, we're going to cut down some trees, um, but we're going to engage in industrial um, globalized relationship with China, who's willing to pay us top dollar to get the wood, top dollar to get, the Chinese are eating more meat, and they can't produce enough meat at home, so they're going to engage in a deal, a trade relationship with um, Brazil that would allow them to sell all this massive amounts of meat.
But that is a problem for Brazil because they want the earnings that will come from that trade in order to spend money on other things that they need that they can't produce at home. But at the same time, China is saying, well, you know what? I'm not responsible for the fact that they have to do all of this to make money and survive. So the pressure is still on them. You can do whatever you have to do to survive, but you have to maintain the rainforest at the same time. Now, these things can't be done equitably. So again, that's where the justice comes in. And we know that the 92 Rio talks um, in Brazil, um, that the talks broke down because Brazil was saying, we need help from the, the North. You can't just say we are violating the rainforest because we're not replanting the trees as often as we cut them down. We need help from you. So, you know, stop pointing fingers and figure out how we can do this in a manner where everybody recognizes that the earth is ours. It's not yours, it's not mine. We're all responsible. And we have, um, you know, ecological paradigms that point out, you know, resources that can be shared. And trade is one of them. Trade is one of the, the vehicles to conduct this. But at the same time, we have to think about human life, about human, um, I don't want to say it's not, a, it is exploitation, but I would prefer not to offend anyone by calling it exploitation. But it's exploitative when we keep on using some mankind, some of mankind as the beasts of burden to keep things going and others as the ones who are the producers of the, of the waste, the producers of, of the negative elements, the, the toxicity that we have in the, in the atmosphere and who are primarily responsible for incurring the kind of damage to the earth that we see because they don't value the earth in the same way that those indigenous people from Brazil and so forth, the earth is for them mother earth. It, it, it is spiritual, it is, it is precious. And they are upset too that governments would rather sacrifice that, that, um, that, that heritage. They would rather sacrifice the values that go into the spirituality that comes from the communion that the indigenous people understand for the sake of capitalistic earnings and so forth. So globalization is the major cause of climate change. But they're also the ones, um, you know, the global community is also arguing that um, we need you to clean up your act. We'll make the mess, but we need you to clean it up. And they're not unwilling to clean it up, but they need the funding um, that goes into that. And so when we talk about the, the, um, the IPCC, the um, Intergovernmental um, Plan for Climate Change, right, that came out of the United Nations, as said by 2030, yeah. we need X, Y, Z in place. And one of the things they insist on is that this transition be done justly 
so that we don't put all of the costs on any one group. They're going to be winners and losers, but the same group does not have to be the losers all the time. Hey, this is Bart Everson. Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Pamela Waldron Moore so far. I had just one more question for her. Just one more question. I think she's done a great job of sketching out how big these problems are. My question is, how do you teach that? But for her answer, you're just going to have to wait to the next installment. That's right, part two of my interview with Dr. Pamela Waldron Moore. In the meantime, if you like what you're hearing, please do remember to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a rating, give us a review. It helps listeners find us. Thanks for listening to this installment of Teaching, Learning, and Everything Else. For more information, please visit our website at cat.zula.edu. That's C-A-T dot X-U-L-A dot E-D-U. Until next time, keep on teaching, learning, and everything else.